This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. My guest today has come out with a great new book, A Ball with No Points. It's about the Westfield High School Boys Championship basketball team in the early 70s and much more. Stephen D. Reddy was a guard on that team, and he tells the story of that special squad, his time at Bucknell University under then-head coach Jim Valvano, and what it was like growing up in Westfield and playing on the courts at Gumbert Park with so many great New Jersey Hoopers. Steve, thanks for joining us on Sports Gen. Thanks, Doug, for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, this book really hit home for me in, in so many ways. Both of us played high school basketball. Both had brothers we went to see play on Friday nights, you know, and enjoyed watching our older brother play sports. You had two brothers that you would you would watch. I had one. Don was a great basketball and football player that I got to watch on Friday nights. And so I really could relate to what it was like going through all your experiences in that special season. Your high school coach that magical year, Neil Horn Jr., your teammates, Tim Gosky, Tom Pfeiffer, Scott Novacek, Larry Simmons, and others, you provide 12 reasons why in this book you feel this team had that special season. What do you want to say about Coach Horn and about your teammates? Well, I think uh, certainly Coach Horn was uh, one of the big reasons we had the success that we did. And uh, when I think of uh, Coach a couple of things stand out. The, uh, the practices we had, he, he, he just, he got us fully prepared to play each game and it was a combination. Uh, well, he did it really through, we constantly worked on individual skills and then there were team concepts we worked on in each practice. And then, and then a portion of each practice, we usually focused on the upcoming opponent and their tendencies, uh, we also focused a lot on specific game situations. I remember almost every practice there'd be, you know, we'd take the ball out of half court, four seconds to go, and we're we're, we're tied. Or, uh, you know, there's foul shot and the, the game's tied with three seconds to go. What, what do we do if we get the rebound? So we, we constantly practice game situations. So when I think back about uh, on all that, I think Warren just was uh, – he just had us as prepared as we could be through each of those things. I mean, he, he never overlooked the individual skills aspect. I mean, foul shooting every day. I mean, that's an individual skill, jump shooting, things like that. When we got into tight games, he was also, he was also pretty cool. So he kept us cool. And I think that that allowed us to keep our cool at the same time. I was so fortunate that he kept all of his practice notes, um, which uh, again, I, I, I have copies of some of them in the book and it's uh, I found it kind of fascinating myself just to see all the things we worked on. And he had, you know, each one had a five or 10 or 15 minute time slot associated with it. So he, he had the practice, each practice fully planned out. It was good to see that in some of his notes, just to give the reader a sense of what, what we actually did each day. I, I, I thought it was kind of neat to see it myself after all these years. Yeah, it was a nice touch. I'm going to have you talk about your teammates in a moment. But that championship game, a two-point victory over Triton in 1972, 44-42, very low scoring. Yeah. Lots of turnovers in that oh, yeah. game. And uh, it was bittersweet for you. You and a couple of others on your team weren't even really in a mood to celebrate. You won a state championship, and there you are kind of hanging your heads a little bit. Can you explain what you were thinking back then? But now maybe as the years, have they softened? You, know, you won a state championship. Yeah, well, I, I would say, uh, oh, no, I, I remember it vividly. I, uh, 
there was really a couple of things. We, we clearly played a sloppy game almost throughout the game, you know, roughly a turnover a minute, which is almost embarrassing to admit. It was a little hard to shake at the time and completely, uh, you know, get into the joyous mood we should have been in uh, after the victory. And, you know, years later, um, uh, yes, I would say that's often I, I, uh, I try and get myself to focus on the season as a whole and the run that we had, which was a, a tremendous run and um, great memories associated with, all, you know, every part of the season. So they would be wrong to dwell on just the last game or uh, one particular play. Um, you know, we were fortunate to come out on top that day, despite not our best game. And I'm sure the, uh, the other team would probably say it wasn't their best game either. But um, yeah, over time, uh, uh, I've, you know, intentionally tried to focus on the season, which was clearly a big success and has a lot of great memories associated with it. We're speaking with Stephen Reddy and his book, A Ball With No Points. Amazing memory you have. How were you able to recall so much detailed information about not only that season, but your days in college at Bucknell? Well, you know, I've, it's, Funny, a lot. I've been getting that comment from a lot of people, uh, uh, but you know, it, it really is just a uh, you know a collection of reasons that allowed me to recall the detail that I did. It certainly wasn't just my memory coming into play. I mean, we uh, first and foremost is we had probably three newspaper accounts of every single game, game, and in some cases maybe maybe four. And the local paper is. Uh, is online. You can actually pull that up right now very easily uh, each game in that season. So, uh, and of course in the close games, there's a lot more detail and you'd be surprised how each article is different. So there's a lot of not much overlap and you can actually piece together quite a bit of play by play with just with those alone. Um, secondly, we had, you know, three, three game films survived all the years. We used to have a lot more, but uh, three game fellows and one radio broadcast of a fourth. And fortunately, those were probably four of the most important games of the season. You'll see, obviously, you see in the book, certain games get a lot more detail than others. And so, so the game films obviously came in handy uh, for that. And then, uh, you know, um, Coach Horn kept, uh, in addition to those practice notes, he kept incredibly detailed uh, game statistics, uh, or uh, one of his managers did uh, for him, obviously. Anybody who's played basketball in the 60s and 70s and high school basketball and had that type of competition will love a ball with no points because it will bring you back to your days on the hardwood for, for sure. You've mentioned many players in this book. I, I don't think we necessarily have time to go, and I want people to be able to read the book and hear the special stories. But I mentioned some of your teammates, Tim Gosky and Tom Pfeiffer and Scott Novacek and Larry Simmons. Anything you want to say in particular about those individuals? Well, uh, yeah, I, I mean, uh, I'd love to be able to talk about each of them. They, they all made major contributions to the team's success. Uh, the, the, those four were the, the other four starters in addition to myself. And obviously some of the reserve players made equally huge contributions. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Tim Gosky, I, I think probably went on to become the, 
the best player in the school's history. At least that's that's my opinion. He's uh, he's in the, the high school hall of fame. Went on to play in in college at at Georgia, um, and was uh, you know was kind of a, a local legend down at the the local playground at Gumbert Park that you, you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, Scott Novacek was our big guy, not even six five, but had big broad shoulders and uh, wasn't afraid to mix it up. And he made the big play in the championship. Oh, he made the big play in, in, in the final game. And also a couple of games earlier, he hit the winning basket with about four seconds left against Cranford. Uh, he had the, the most uncanny ability to go up for rebounds with two hands extended instead of just one, which most, most uh, players do just because you can usually jump higher and get that one hand up higher. But, he, he was on canning going up for uh, with two hands. He did it at the, uh, the the moment we needed it the most, but he had been doing it all year. And then, you know, Tom and Larry were my, my fellow seniors that year, both the co-captains of the team. And, uh, they were just tough, hard-nosed guys, uh, great rebounders. I think Larry was our leading rebounder that year and both tremendous on defense. I mean, defense, probably defensive rebounding really carried our team. It was the most consistent, you know, asset that we had uh, or strength that we had game in and game out. So, you know, they, they were all, uh, they were all major parts of our success and, uh, you know, all, all great friends to this day. You will have to read a ball with no points to find out why Steve Reddy was not the captain of that team. <laughs> we'll give him a little uh, little taste and a little tease for that, Steve. Also, this book contains so many connections to famous names, both on and off the court, playing under legendary coach Jim Valvano when you were at college, playing against New Jersey actor Ray Liotta from <laughs> Goodfellas and Field of Dreams fame. And battling him in high school when you were also from the same town. And at the same time you were going to high school, the infamous John Liss murder case, he murdered his entire family in the, in the town of Westfield. I'm sure that will never leave you. No, no, it won't. Uh, for sure. I mean, it, I think it, it was discovered um, just two, uh, two days or maybe three days before our first game. So I remember sitting at homeroom and, hearing the news, I think two days that on a Wednesday morning. And, uh, you know, obviously news rapidly spread throughout the town and just horrible, horrible story uh, that obviously gained nationwide attention. Such a, a difficult time to, to be living in Westfield, knowing that that had happened not that far away. And there are some other connections to some mm -hmm. uh, tragedies there too that are in the book. But I'm so glad you decided to write this book, you know, because this 1971-72 championship team and, and to tell your story. I know a lot of people think, well, who wants to, you know, who wants to read this? I think you're finding out that a lot of people uh, want to know it. Your memory served you well in this. And uh, you talked about the film and the coach's practice notes. There's an interesting story about where the title of this book came from. Uh, maybe you can share a little bit of page 31 for us of a ball with no points to give us an idea where that title came from. 
okay, sure. And this would be in the fall of my junior year. I said, whatever plans I had to add more muscle and more weight during the current off season didn't come to fruition. I didn't need any reminders of that nagging fact, but one September day after school, I got the most ignominious one you can imagine. I knew several guys on the football team, including Pfeiffer and Bruce Kant, who were now on the vaunted varsity football team. And I decided to watch a preseason scrimmage uh, after school. Afterwards, as I was leaving and heading across the field to the parking lot, I crossed paths with my old nemesis, Bob Martin, who sneeringly greeted me with, what are you doing here, Reddy? This ball has points on it. I did my best to ignore him and just keep right on walking as if his words meant nothing and warranted no reaction. Of course, that was easier said than done. I knew exactly what he meant. You don't belong here. You might get hurt if the football hits you. Go back and play your sissy sport. This incident was going to be harder, was going to be harder to shrug off or ignore, given that he was also a gym teacher and our paths would undoubtedly cross again. Yeah, it was a very skinny Steve Reddy for sure. And you tried to put on weight. Eventually you did, you know, you, you yeah. gradually gained weight, but uh, that was something that you, you had to deal with. And your yeah. teammates, many of them, as you had mentioned, played on the football team, but they backed you up, you know, uh, Red Eye, I guess, was your, was your nickname, huh? Well, that was one, yeah, that was one that Tim Gosky gave me. I think my, one of my older brothers may have uh, been called that. So it probably filtered down from there, but uh, yeah, no, uh, my teammates, uh, they, they, they were always, they always had my back. Uh, uh, but, but in addition to that one incident, I remember in a sophomore year uh, shooting foul shots one day and somebody in the crowd goes way to go Twiggy. So that was, uh, that was probably just, just as bad an incident. And I, and I, uh, I pretended not to hear it, but I, I heard it loud and clear. So that, that gave me the motivation I needed to put on extra uh, weight and muscle uh, prior to senior year, which I, I did just in time. But Twiggy had a pretty good senior season there and uh, uh, you did well. In fact, you won a game right at the buzzer. You had uh, some prayers answered with a, a shot that hit the top of the backboard and went down in a key situation. So I, I imagine this really was a labor of love for you, right? Writing this book. Yeah, you know, I, I I think that's that's fair to say. Uh, I mean, I, I suppose, you know, the first forty years after the season, I uh, I never gave writing a book much thought at all. The the only times I did, I I quickly dismissed it, thinking, well, I probably waited too long. I mean, there's nobody around that would care anymore. And the thing that changed that was probably our um, our recent team reunion back in early 2018, which happened to be, you know, kind of 46 years after our season. And, you know, um, we had uh, 11 of the 12 players back and, and, uh, and our head coach. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, as you read the book, you know, um, one of our players is not uh, in the best of health. And it was a really a struggle for him to even be there, uh, but he was. And then another Another player had a you know personal tragedy, losing a couple of his kids in uh, uh, from service in the in, uh, in the war in Afghanistan. So um, th there were some extra reasons that and hardships people have gone through where getting everyone together just it, it made the memories more special, not just for me but for everyone. And I think you could feel it in the room that that night and that weekend. And uh, 
and also with you know the more passage of time, I think what we had accomplished, we all appreciated more. Uh, just for you know, you know, the passage of time makes it more special, but also the fact that uh, it's never been done since then. So uh, what we accomplished was the first time uh, championship we, the school had won, and it hasn't been done since. So uh, that also gave it more, made it more special over time. And um, so after that reunion, I started to think about it, um, it with a fresh perspective. Um, and now that not ever knowing if, um, you know, how many people would really uh, would really read it. And uh, I had no idea how, how well I could write a, a book of, of this type, but never written a book before. So uh, it was, you know, uh, I, I decided I'll just I want to do it for my teammates. It's kind of a thank you. And, um, you know, I think people, people from the town should like it. It's a great story about a historical event there. Um, and this would, this would be a way to make sure they don't forget that it actually happened. <laughs> you mentioned that because of the, the championship season, but, I, you know, I, I get the impression that each one of us that played on a high school team at some point would love to have one of our teammates write a book about that time, you know, because it just brings back so many good funny, sad, you yeah. know, this is a, this, this book says a football town, a basketball triumph, a ball with no points, the story of a boyhood dream, players who dared to win and a coach who showed them how Stephen D. Reddy. One of the reasons I love this book is that as, as I mentioned, we kind of played near the same time and the yeah. idols that you had were pretty close to, to my idols, or at least fans of the players, you know, the hall of famer and the late, Pistol Pete Maravich, a pioneer in the game of basketball, Nick's legendary right. guard and one of my all-time favorites, Walt Clyde Frazier. Many kids grew up idolizing those two thrilling players, but can you give us a short reason why they meant something to you? Yeah, Pistol Pete, um, you know, I first heard about in junior high. Um, somebody in practice mentioned him, and so I, I got a little curious about, you know, this ball handling wizard and guy was scoring 40 points a game. And so. Um, so I, I uh, looked until I found out he was on late one Saturday night and on a little 13-inch black and white TV, got to see a little glimpse of him. And sure enough, they, uh, you know, he putting on, put on a little dribbling show at the, at the end of the game and, and had, you know, had 40-something points. <laughs> um, and, uh, and also I had, I had already played against a, a skinny uh, ball-handling uh, whiz named Ray Schnitzer, um, who was only, you know, in fifth grade, the first time I played against him, but then saw him again in junior high. So he was, uh, in my mind was like a little miniature pistol Pete. So that's, that added to my interest in, in the real Pete Maravich. And then of course that sports illustrated cover came out, um, a year or two later when I was in 10th grade, pistol Pete on the cover saying, I want to put on a show was the, the title of that sports illustrated cover. And, it was a fascinating article about his upbringing and all the drills he worked on, you know, many of which his father had given him and, you know, about sitting in the movie theater and dribbling in the aisle and then moving to the other aisle, that, that kind of thing and or dribbling out the car window. So I was, I was always fascinated by that story. And then, uh, and that Walt Clyde Frazier came along when, uh, you know, I was naturally, I guess, a Knicks fan growing up in New Jersey and, um, uh, they, of course, had, had a lot of trouble with Celtics all through the 60s. But finally, Frazier comes along and uh, 
I guess it was just his third year uh, is when he led him to that championship season. I remember listening to games on the radio, um, yeah, virtually every game. So he quickly became a hero of mine just from his his cool demeanor on the court and just his great all round play. I mean, he was uh, he made quite an impact uh, in the NBA pretty quickly. So uh, yeah, they were two special heroes in my mind to look up to uh, at that, at that time. Two of the best ever. Yeah. Uh, T's number two is Steve Reddy had his Willis Reed moment on the court. And that, that's <laughs> all I'll say about that. If you remember <laughs> the great Willis Reed, you'll know that he walked onto the court after an injury and inspired his team to go on and win uh, the NBA championship. You knew the late coach Jim Valvano way before he would lead North Carolina State to an NCAA Cinderella-like basketball championship in 1983. Valvano is also remembered for his inspirational and memorable speech delivered at the 1993 ESPY Awards while terminally ill with cancer. And that screen is flashing up there 30 seconds like I care about that screen right now, huh? I got, I got... I got tumors all over my body. I'm worried about some guy in the back going 30 seconds. Huh? I just got one last thing. I urge all of you to enjoy your life, the precious moments you have, to spend each day with some laughter and some thought, to get your emotions going, to be enthusiastic every day. And Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great can be accomplished without enthusiasm, to keep your dreams alive in spite of problems, whatever you have, to be able to work hard for your dreams to, become, to come true, become a reality. Now I, I look at where I, I am now and I know what I want to do. What I would like to be able to do is to spend whatever time I have left and to give and maybe some hope to others. He implored the audience to laugh, think, and cry each day and announced for the formation of the The Foundation for Cancer Research. Of course, we you know that Dick Vitale is very much involved in promoting the uh, Jimmy V Foundation and whose motto would be, don't give up, don't ever give up. I got a sense you had kind of mixed emotions about Coach Valvano, who we lost in 1993. Is that true? You kind of had mixed feelings about him as a, as a coach at Bucknell? Um, well, I don't know if that's uh, the best description. I mean, I had, um, you know, I, I initially got cut by him as, as a walk-on, but um, you know, a couple months later, got brought up from JV to varsity. So um, I thought, you know, actually, all things considered, that was really a good experience. It was good to go through that little bit of hardship and challenge. And, and I eventually convinced him I, I belonged on the varsity. So that was um, that overall that I didn't hold anything against him for that. Um, I thought uh, it was the probably the most memorable thing about playing for him and being around him was just his overall enthusiasm. I mean, just like everybody could see that later on when he, you know, he won the national championship and just his, his presence on TV was, uh, was infectious. Um, he was, uh, he was like that, the, uh, at Bucknell. I mean, the, probably the biggest impression I had was that that first week of school when he invited all the, you know, quote unquote basketball hopefuls to a meeting to introduce himself and say, this is, you know, basketball is my, my life. You know, I'm, I'm going to do everything I can to, uh, uh, to, to make us the best basketball team we can be. And, and, you know, you, you all can do your part. And 
and he, and he basically said, uh, my father only had one rule. Don't, don't ever do anything to embarrass me and I'll never do anything to embarrass you. And it was, it was just, so. by the time that meeting was, we were all so pumped up. We couldn't wait to play. And, but we, it was this, the season was six weeks away, but uh, boy, it was, it was inspirational. Of course we didn't, you know, he, he was just another young coach at that time, but you could see he was headed for big things somewhere uh, beyond, you know, after Bucknell. You just eventually you go to see. Iona, go to Iona, yeah. and then eventually end up winning the right. title with uh, North Carolina State. He was a man of his word. He said, hey, if you do well and you work hard after you were you, know, you were cut, that we'll put you back up yeah. to the varsity squad. And, and, and he did that. So um, a man of his word in that time. Uh, also, the people that you talk about on the uh, Gumbert Park courts and John mm-hmm. Shoemate, who was probably one of the first basketball players I ever watched uh, play college, played for Notre Dame and, and, and was, I was a big Notre Dame fan watching them play. And John Shoemate, I still remember how he held the ball behind his head, you know, to, to shoot the basketball and things yeah. like that. You mentioned yeah. that in the book as well. But you, I think you make a, a point here that saying the playgrounds are, are kind of missed these days and that AAU basketball has yeah. necessarily not been the greatest of things for the development of the game. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I was fortunate to be able to interview uh, probably uh, more than a dozen players, maybe 15 players who used to frequent Gumbert and, you know, guys I became friends with uh, at that time or uh, over the years. And um, they all almost all to a man kind of regret the, uh, the dying off of the Gumberts of the world in in favor of AAU. Uh, I mean, it's just, I guess it's a sort of evolution at work where, uh, you know, AAU, I suppose, is a more efficient way of uh, coaches being able to see young players play or, or get them to play organized games. But there was nothing like the playground for pure competition. I mean, in our case, we were fortunate that it attracted enough good players from really a, a good portion of New Jersey. And, uh, you know, once you got them all there, you didn't need adults to organize the games or the competition. I mean, it just happened. And uh, you'd see whatever parents or adults were there, they were just there to watch and observe. Uh, now, eventually there, there would be coaches that, you know, they'd, they'd hear about Gumbert and, and uh, they'd be there peering through the fence and uh, doing their, their scouting from that point of view. But um, you don't have the, uh, the politics of, uh, you know, uh, parents uh, fighting to get their kids on the right team or getting more playing time with the, the coach or over this player or that. I mean, it's just, it, it's a, uh, it's a meritocracy at its uh, purest form. And it's a, it was kind of a, in retrospect, it's kind of a beautiful thing to uh, be part of. One of the guys I talked to was uh, Jim Baglin, who uh, played there um, the time I was there. And he, he went on to become one of the uh, winningest coaches in New Jersey high school history at Mendham high school. And he said he used to, he, he, he loved the way that the games worked at Gumbert. And he, he ended up when he was coaching in the summer, he would, he would invite a bunch of kids into their, their high school gym there. And, and it eventually attracted a bunch of local uh, people or former players. And, and they would just come and run uh, and have similar kinds of pickup games where winners stay on and, and then uh, losers go to the back of the line. But um, yeah, it was uh, the other thing I think a lot of people comment on is just that 
it, it doesn't appear to uh, AU, I think, yeah, it might provide competition, but it, it certainly hasn't helped improve the fundamentals. I think players tend to favor athleticism over fundamentals. And, um, you know, I even, uh, you know, John Samoji, who was the uh, all-time leading store in, in New Jersey for about three decades until his record was broken, commented that, you know, you just, you just don't see uh, uh, the fundamentals uh, addressed the way they were back in the day and too, too many players trying to get by on athleticism. And uh, yeah, so I, I think there's a, a lot of consensus that it's not necessarily better uh, than it was back in the days of Gumber. And it's uh, in some ways a little bit of a shame that you don't have those places anymore, at least not, certainly not, not in the numbers that they used to have. Them. Yeah. Those courts are no more. So I, I know that's a sad thing for you to know that uh, what was once a Haven for a great, yeah. uh, great play. Yeah. You mentioned the word beautiful and, and I want to describe, you might not even think so, but uh, uh, I have a daughter and I love the chapter about your daughter mm-hmm. and how she excelled in both basketball and soccer, scoring a thousand points at Notre Dame high school, mm-hmm. but eventually didn't pursue a college sports career, something that maybe took you a while to understand. But I think the fact that you didn't push her and you allowed her to be who she is says something about Steve Reddy, the father, the man. Mm-hmm. And I congratulate you on that because that couldn't have been too easy. Uh, it, it, it certainly wasn't easy. Um, you know, it's, uh, I guess from a, from a couple different perspectives, one, you, I guess it's, it's very easy to want the same kind of career for your daughter that you experienced, you know, you, you, you played in college and you see her with all the skills she has and, uh, she's got the perfect opportunity to do the same. Uh, so you have that, that pressure working, uh, on you. And then there's, um, you know, then there's, uh, my daughter's siblings who, um, you know, they didn't, uh, they didn't turn out, they didn't earn college scholarships or weren't the same athlete that, that Jackie was in this case. So, uh, you know, I knew I had to be careful about, um, offering, you know, some kind of special incentive for Jackie that the other kids didn't have. So, um, you know, like, like every parent, you, you, it's impossible not to think about scholarship money and, and how much that could save you uh, given the price of college these days. And of course we had seen that not only with AU basketball, but also with her travel soccer team, she had been on a very good team um, prior to, or, you know, prior to age 14 or so she played for three or four years and even there, they were they were talking about college scholarships in you know eighth and ninth grade as being a distinct possibility. So um, it was clearly on parents' minds, and um, you know the thing that uh, convinced me not to push hard was one, Jackie. You know, I could see uh, I, I didn't I could see burnout potentially coming. You know, if she's you know doing all these weekends away at tournaments and you know not having a normal quote unquote normal social life where you do things that kids used to do uh, instead of going away for tournaments. And um, so I was afraid of the burnout uh, thing happening if pushed too hard. And then uh, also uh, 
offering her, uh, pushing her to get a scholarship is effectively, in my mind, making her a professional athlete as a teenager. Um, you know, at least that's the way I thought about it. I just said, you know, that's just not, it's just not right. If she doesn't want to play, it's just not right to offer her money effectively to play. And um, I, I was lucky enough that I could, I could afford to uh, send her to college without the scholarship money. So I just decided, you know, she should, it shouldn't be a, a factor. She should decide what she wants. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't regret that at all. And, um, you know, I was, I was just so happy for the high school career that she had, which was amazing. And, uh, you know, she, she kind of went out at the top of her game. Uh, maybe it's a little bit sad in some respects, but, uh, I think she, as far as I'm concerned, she, she did the right thing and did it the right way. A couple of beautiful pictures of Jackie in your book. What does she think about a ball with no points? Uh, well, I don't think she's read the whole thing yet. I think she's a bit, uh, but she will. Uh, <laughs> I think she, she helped me a lot with uh, designing uh, the book cover. So that, that was her immediate contribution. But um, I think they, they heard so much about it along the way that uh, I think they, they, they wanted to stay clear of it until the dust settled. But uh, uh, I think the, all, all the kids have uh, either, either read it or read portions of it at this point. So it's been nice to hear about, you know, I get comments about certain chapters uh, more than others. And I think the Gumber chapter, chapter and the chapter on Jackie are the ones that I've gotten the most comments about. As you mentioned, this is the first time you've ever written a book. Can you get the audience up to date on your life? You've had a successful business career. Tell us a little bit of how Steve Reddy became uh, an author as far as just uh, what you do and, yeah. and and how things have gone for you. Sure. Uh, well, I, I, I spent uh, really four decades as, as an actuary, uh, having been a mathematician, a mathematician or math major in college. That was a natural career to go into. So I worked at three different or three or four, four big life insurance companies throughout that career and one big investment bank. So, uh, that was, um, that was, uh, uh, you know, profitable, enjoyable career for, uh, four, four decades. Um, and, uh, that, that kind of, I, I sort of took early retirement, uh, about five years ago from that. And then, was working on a couple of projects when, when the book idea came along and I, I was fortunate enough to then have the time to actually think about it seriously. I think trying to do it 10 years ago would, wouldn't have been possible because it, you know, it, it certainly takes some time to, uh, to put together. Um, and once I started, I said, well, if I'm going to do this. You, you can't do it in a half-baked manner. You're either all in or you don't get in at all. So, um, so that that took a good two years and three months or something along those lines to from soup to nuts. But um, at, at this point, uh, you know, uh, knock on wood, still in good health, and um, uh, I'll be figuring out the next the next thing that's coming down the pike. Uh, so a little bit of a blank sheet of paper. So we'll we'll see. If anyone has a skinny little kid that they think, well, will he ever amount to something? Well. <laughs> Stephen D. Reddy's case, Steve did amount to quite a bit. And now he's an author. A Ball with No Points is the new book about the Westfield High School Boys Basketball Championship season. And I said much more. Uh, we want to congratulate you on this book. And I guess it gives you another chance to always come back to Westfield, right? 
It does. I've I've been back there a few times uh, in recent months, and the the reception has been great uh, so far. Uh, in fact, the, the biggest unexpected benefit is reconnecting with lots of classmates. So not so not just teammates. I mean, they they've all loved the book, but all these other classmates I haven't talked to in decades have have gotten and read the book and are you know saying great things about it. So I I feel feel really lucky that way and that that's happened it's it's been a, a great way to reconnect with uh schoolmates from back in the back in the day i'm uh here in nearby kenilworth new jersey oh, and wow. uh, okay. just did the pa for a roselle catholic basketball game against union catholic so i'm in the area here when you Excellent. come back to westfield let's uh, get a chance oh. and have a cup of coffee together and oh. talk more about uh, your wonderful book and your basketball career steve reddy a pleasure to have you on sports jam Thank you for having me. I loved it. Sports Jam is a WBGO Studios production. You can hear all the station's great podcasts, including the Checkout and Jazz United, by going to wbgo.org studios or wherever you enjoy podcasts. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game.